And uh, I love teaching on the person of the Holy Spirit. I really do. It's probably one of my favorite topics in all of Scripture uh, to preach on because the subject matter just, there's no end. So I could just preach forever. So I never have to worry about running out of, of content when it comes to the person of the Holy Spirit. But, uh, you know, in week one, I was sharing with you. I'm going to give you a brief recap here. Week one, we talked about that the Holy Spirit is God. He's not a wind. He's not a fire. He's No, he's God. And he is a person to be known. So if you weren't here for the first two weeks, you can get online. You can watch them. I'm not re-preaching the messages. And uh, so week one was about that the Holy Spirit is God and he is a person to be known. Last week, week two, I shared with you that we can experience the Holy Spirit's presence right now. Like this isn't something that we just have to just believe because somebody else told us. We can actually experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. And really what that looks like in our lives. But I have to lay some groundwork for that before I can get to that specifically. So I'm building on something to help us get there. And uh, But uh, just another thought about the Holy Spirit, about Him, uh, because He is God, you need to know this. Is that the Holy Spirit is omniscient, He's omnipotent, and He's omnipresent. You're like, I don't know what you just said. Let me help you out. Here's what I just said in our language, right? Is that the Holy Spirit is all-knowing. That's what omniscient means. He has all wisdom, all knowledge, all understanding. He has all power. That's it's the word omnipotent. In other words, unlimited power, if you break the word down. And he's everywhere, which is omnipresent. That's why he can be with me at my house and you with you at your house. He's everywhere. So he has all knowledge, he has all power, and he's everywhere. So we can't get away from him. You're like, well, what if I want to? <laughs> you can try. <laughs> good luck. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually a very good thing. But man, it, it, to have this understanding is that he is fully God. He's not some second class, secondary, insuperior part of God. He is as much and fully God as God the Father and God the Son. See, there's nothing that the Father or that Jesus knows that the Holy Spirit doesn't. That's great news for us because the Holy Spirit has been sent to be our helper, our teacher, our guide. We've been talking about these things. And even more importantly than that is that He actually lives in us. That's one of the reasons why Jesus said, it's going to be better for you if I go away. Because we can hang out with Jesus, but the Holy Spirit can actually be in us. He can actually help, what, to bring about it. And part of what we're going to talk about this morning is one of the differences between what Jesus does in our life and what the Holy Spirit's function is in our life. Because we put our faith in Jesus, but the Holy Spirit comes to give us ability. And so we're going to be talking about that this morning. And so my goal is to bring us to a place really of discovering what the spiritual, scriptural norm is for believers. So I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm going to give you quite a bit of scripture this morning, uh, but that's intentional uh, because I don't want you just to say, well, Pastor David said. I want you to be able to say in Acts chapter 8, the Bible says, because that's more important than what I have to say. And, and so we're going to look at quite a bit of scripture this morning because I want to establish the normal. Because many times in church world, in, in Christianese, we have created a normal that actually is not in line with scripture. And so that's my goal. We'll see if I make it. You can tell me afterwards. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I see what you, how you got there. That was, you know, that's my goal. So in Romans chapter 1, 
I'm going to read two verses here. This is a, verse one's a familiar passage of Scripture, but it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's salvation, and because you belong to Him, the power, that's a key word, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now, who does it say that the power came from? Pop quiz. The power of come from who? Did it come from Jesus or did it come from the Spirit? From the Spirit. That's important. You're going to understand why here in a minute. So I'm going to point out a few of these things. So what happens is I believe that many times we get saved. We come to Jesus. Man, we put our faith, our trust, our hope in Him. And then we start working really hard to be better. Like, you know, I'm not going to, in the, in the old words, I'm not going to uh, dip, drink, or hang out with the girls who do. How many of you ever heard that saying? Like we start saying, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be better. Like I'm just going to somehow will myself to be better for Jesus. And what that is, is the Bible calls that a work of the flesh. In other words, you're striving, you're working. And so in week one, I told you one of the, the, the images of the Holy Spirit is like wind in our sails. You can't see him, but you know he's there, right? Like he's not the sail. He's the wind that catches in the sail that actually caused us to move forward, right? Okay, so we understand this. But what happens is, is that many times we're intended to be like a sailboat catching the wind of the Holy Spirit, and we're over there doing this. <laughs> we're row, row, rowing. You know what I'm talking about. And, man, we're working. We're striving. We're, man, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to quit talking like that. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to be sweeter to people. I'm going to be like Jesus. And, man, we're just rowing the boat, rowing the boat, rowing the boat, rowing the boat. I don't know how many of you have ever been like in a boat. I'm a fisherman, so I've been in canoes and things and trying to, to row upstream. Especially like one time I got caught in a boat trying to row upstream when they had opened the, the dam up and water was coming down. And I'm trying to row as frantically as I'm going nowhere. Literally nowhere. I'm looking at the bank going, why am I not moving? I had to get out and carry the boat. And yet, that's how many of us live our Christian life. We're just, man, we're rowing and rowing and rowing. And, and the Holy Spirit's like, put the oar down. Put the sail up and catch the wind that comes. And I use it as an analogy. He's not a wind, but catch the wind of the Holy Spirit, that power that he wants to bring into your life to what? To actually help you move forward. And you can what? Just sit there and enjoy the breeze. Doesn't mean that we don't have to be obedient. Doesn't mean that we don't have cooperation. I'm not saying he's going to do everything for us. But what I am telling you is that many times we can strive so hard that we miss out on the help of the Holy Spirit. We're trying, 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 trying. Maybe we need to start letting go and just saying, okay, Lord, I'm yours. I'm going to quit trying so hard. Because for me, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, as you've heard me say, I'm a list person. Like, you know, I had my list when I got saved. Like, I'm going to quit doing this. I'm going to quit doing that. I'm going to quit doing this. And it's amazing. It, it didn't work. And you know what? I can still default to that if I'm not careful. But I have learned, and sometimes I have to relearn, probably more than I would like to admit, that, hey, quit rowing, dummy. Put the sail up. Let the Holy Spirit come in and help you. I mean, this is what I have discovered is that life with the Holy Spirit's help is way better, <laughs> way better. My wife would say the same thing. 
That's, we have this saying, I've shared it before, like, that maybe we get a little testy and we're like, you need to go spend some time with Jesus. What we're saying is go put your cell up. <laughs> Quit rowing, go get your cell up. Go find some Jesus, please. Because I don't like this version of you right now. Let me give you another scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, we now, that's important, we now. So I'm, I'm not just waiting for salvation to come one day when I get to heaven. We now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Have you ever had that thought where you look at yourself and you're like, what's wrong with you? Like you, It's like what Paul talks about in Romans 7, Romans 8. He says, I know what to do, I just don't do it. And he says, what miserable, wretched kind of person I am. He says, but thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the help of the Holy Spirit. It goes on. But it says that God actually did this for a purpose. He says, we have this light in our, in our hearts, but we're fragile. We human. <laughs> like, you know, I know it's bad English, but we human. All of us, you know. And it says, but this is why. Because this makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. People ought to look at you and be like, I know you. How did you do that? Like, I know who you used to be. What happened? Because I know you, <laughs> and that's not you. You couldn't do that. See, the, the Bible says that there's this great power that comes from God, that it is not of ourselves. So all of our effort, all of our energy, all our row, row, row a boat ain't getting you very far. And everybody's going to look and be like, oh, yeah, you got yourself there. What I want to be able to stand at the end of my life and people look at me and be like, there ain't no way. That had to be God. Praise the Lord. That should be all of our goals. How did you get into that position of the company? Good question. <laughs> I kind of wondered that myself. But God gave me favor. Why did you get that raise and nobody else did? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Man, I thought y'all's marriage was on the rocks. It was until we actually understood that the great power of God was not something that we were trying to work in our relationship. We quit trying and started asking the Holy Spirit to begin to help us to actually be married sanely. And it's amazing. We invited the Holy Spirit in and we stopped hating each other. And everybody's been like, man, y'all were like, sign the paper. Y'all were done. Yeah, but God. But the power of the Holy Spirit began to work in our family, began to work in our relationship, began to, to work in my job and all these areas. And all of a sudden, I ain't trying to become something. I'm just saying, God, you can do whatever you want to with me. I'm just along for the ride. I'm here to be a faithful servant with whatever you put in my hands to do. And I can tell you, if you can do that, you'll get into a spot where you're going to be like, I can't do this. That's good. Why? Because that's the spot where we recognize our need for God's ability. If you never get yourself into a situation that's too big for you, you're playing it too safe. You're living life safe. And I can tell you, I've sat with people who are kind of at the end of their life and talk to them. They never talk about the chances that they took. They talk about the regrets of what they didn't do. And see, and I believe God challenges us to do things many times and we can get hung up saying, well, I can't do that. That's why God asked you to do it. 
Because you can't do it without Him. You can't do it without the power that the Holy Spirit brings into our life. See, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Yeah, but I'm, I'm nervous. I'm afraid. That's why God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He didn't give you a, a spirit that would create in you a timidity or to cause you to pull back. No, He put a spirit of faith on the inside of us that we would rise up and do what? It says that God is not, you could say it this way, is that God has given us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. He didn't give me a spirit of fear. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a be, there have been times in my life where the Lord put an opportunity before me, and I had to kind of take the big, like, <laughs> like am I about to do this? Yes. Okay, we go. But it's amazing to see. I mean, you know, sometimes people want to see God do something great. Well, get ready. Buckle up. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing ride. But it won't be safe. It won't be. God is going to what? But the good news is, is he's with you. He will empower you. Now, specifically, and this is where I really want to start to kind of drill down on some things this morning. In Acts chapter 19, I'm going to walk you through several examples from the book of Acts. When I said I wanted to give you the spiritual standard or the normal thing from Scripture that, so that you see this. And so in Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 6. But it says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. That's an important qualifier there. In other words, in our modern, these people are saved, okay? And that's important. And he asked them a question. It says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? That's salvation, right? Yeah, it is up there. Okay. I couldn't. I changed that late. I didn't know if it got into the slide or not. So did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed salvation? He asked them. And they said, no. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. It says, then what baptism did you experience? And they responded. I said, the baptism of John, which is water baptism. And he said, John's baptism called for the repentance of sins, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. It says, as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Paul laid his hands on them. Paul laid his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Wait, I thought they were saved. They were. See, this has caused a lot of confusion because people don't really have a good understanding of this. Because they're, wait, but I thought you said two weeks ago that you can't get saved without the, the help and the work of the Holy Spirit. I did. And I'm going to show you in a few minutes what, how this is different. Because it can be confusing, but not if you just, let me say it this way. Just read the scriptures. Just take the word of God. I will take God's word over anyone's thought or opinion all day long. Because God's word will stand for forever, my opinion will not. And so God's word is the foundation. So it says that Paul laid his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see three baptisms in scripture. It's called the baptism of salvation, water baptism, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's throughout the New Testament. I don't have time to teach you all those things. Three times. So you're like, well, what do you mean? If you've gotten saved, have you been water baptized? If you've been water baptized, and they don't have to go necessarily in this order. You have to get saved first. Water baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit can be done either way. I've known people that got water baptized and came out being baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
How does that work? I'm not God. I'm going to leave that to him. I'm not going to worry about those details. And it says that they begin to speak in tongues and they begin to prophesy. Acts chapter 8 verse 14 through 17 says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria, which these were like inferior people to them, that's, I mean, they thought very lowly of them. And so, so the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, that salvation... They've received and accepted saying that they believe in Christ, that He is the Savior. They sent Peter and John there. And as soon as they arrived, they prayed with these new believers to receive. New believers, they're saved. To receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, which is water baptism. It says, then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received, this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now this is important because this morning I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do I get the power of the Holy Spirit? You have to receive it. It's not an automatic add-on with salvation. It is very clear from Scripture that it is a secondary moment. It's a secondary encounter. Like, yeah, but I thought I got all of the Holy Spirit when I got saved. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. See, people, I have that thought. And the reality is, is that you had the influence of the Holy Spirit to get saved. That's what, that was conviction. See, we would have never turned to God had it not been for the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's, the, that's what Scripture tells us. It says no one, I told you this in week one, no one would say that Jesus is Lord except by the influence of the Holy Spirit. It's not possible. Why? Because the Bible says that as humans, we are all broken, wretched sinners. But thank God for his grace. Thank God for his grace. Because in his grace, without his grace, we would have never even looked to him to say, why am I so messed up? But it's his grace that actually causes us to what? To turn to him. But see, there is a difference between his influence and being filled with the Holy Spirit's power. There's a difference between his influence and a lot of people have been taught in a way that you get all of the Holy Spirit when you get saved. It's just not true. It's just not in Scripture. Jesus didn't even say that. I'm going to show you this. Jesus' own disciples were given specific instructions. So you can say, well, what's the difference between salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I thought they were the same thing. Thank you for asking. Just so happens that I have worked on an answer for you this morning. See, when we get saved, when we, when we surrender our hearts to Jesus, that's about accepting him as Lord. In other words, hey, you're in charge of my life. I'm not my own. The Bible says that we've been bought with a price. It's about surrendering to Christ. It's about the forgiveness of sins, and it's about receiving eternal life. Ultimately, it's this. It's about your, your spirit man coming alive unto God. So your spirit, the Bible says we were born with what? A heart that was hardened towards God. But yet when we got saved, the Bible says in the Old Testament, it says that I will put a new heart within them, that one that is what pliable, one that is soft towards me. He says, I will take out that stony heart and I will put in a heart of flesh. That's what the, that's what the Old Testament said. That's salvation. Receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about living empowered now from God's ability, not our own, from the, the ability that comes to the Holy Spirit. And so it's having God's power every day to know Him, 
to overcome sin and accomplish God's will in our lives. See, many people struggle with areas of compromise, areas of sin in their life because they're still trying to do it just from a salvation standpoint. Like, I got saved and I'm forgiven of my sin. And that is true. But guess what? You can still struggle with the same old sin. Why? Because you're rowing the boat. But when you, what, receive the Holy Spirit, now there's power that actually helps us overcome. That means I can actually grow past some things. Like there are things in my life that I no longer deal with. Because I have what? By the power of the Holy Spirit have overcome them. So it's having God's ability every day to know Him, to overcome sin, and to accomplish God's will in our lives. We cannot do this in our own ability. We have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So, I, so let me just, I, I just said a whole lot of stuff, and I'm going to summarize it like in a, a statement. Is that receiving salvation is like drinking a cup of water. Right? It's like on a hot, I mean, it's, it's hot, it's humid. You go get a nice, cool drink of water, and it's just like, oh, it's so refreshing. It's like, man, it's amazing. Receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is like jumping in the pool that the water came out of. So salvation, it's, it's, we need it. Like, let me say it this way. And salvation also gives you access to the pool. It's pretty important. It gets you rights to go swim. And many people are satisfied with the cup that they've been given. And God has a pool for them to experience. But the problem is, is because we've been either not taught or taught from something that Scripture doesn't actually support. That's why I'm pretty big on the Bible. Because it, it doesn't change. See, it's about being, you know, like if you go and have you ever tried to jump in a pool? Kind of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's no way you just got to go. It's about being what fully invested, right? And so many times I, people and I shared this in week one, people think, man, that's weird, though. The Holy Spirit's going to make me weird. No, he's not. People are weird. The Holy Spirit is not. He gets a bad rap because people act foolish and blame it on him. God is not weird. See, the influence of the Holy Spirit comes at salvation, and it's actually about our character. But the Spirit comes upon us in the baptism of the Holy Spirit to equip us for service. It's twofold. He has two roles. Number one is to convict the world of sin, and the next one is to empower us to live a saved life. And it's not strange, it's not weird. If it's weird, you're doing it wrong. I know that's a harsh statement. And you're like, well, how do I know if it's weird if people are telling you it's weird? <laughs> now, people who have no spiritual understanding or don't think everything... I mean, they think you're weird for coming to church, so good news. They already think you're weird in that way anyway, so... <laughs> What do you mean you do that? People may think some of the things that we do are strange, but it's not. It, it's strange. It's not weird. There's a difference. Anyhow, let me move on. I said this as we were in worship, but I believe that sometimes that we want the sensational so bad that we actually miss out on the supernatural. 
Sometimes we, we think that the Holy Spirit's going to come and it's just going to look like with all this fanfare, like, here comes the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know? And it's going to be like this big moment. And yet sometimes, even in my own life, it's like, I want that. I want to feel that moment. I want to get into that moment of worship and I want to connect and I want to have all the goosebumps and all the stuff. And, and it's like, well, I didn't get any of that. So I guess the Holy Spirit didn't show up. Says who? Did you walk away different? Did you leave different? Because sometimes God says, hey, I just, I don't need to do something sensational. I just need you to be honest with me. I mean, some of the most powerful moments that I've had personally with God were in some of the most solemn moments. It wasn't with all the fanfare. It wasn't these sensational moments. It wasn't with lights and sound and all these things. And it was just me being open before God and just inviting him into my life, inviting him into my mess sometimes and seeing God come in. See, that's why we celebrate around here like every week. When people surrender their hearts to God, you're like, well, it doesn't seem like much happens. I mean, you lead people in a prayer and what's the big deal? Something supernatural just happened. It doesn't, have to, it doesn't need a lot of fanfare, but something eternal just happened. And that's why we celebrate that. When people surrender their hearts, man, that's, the Bible says all of heaven stops and celebrates. We're just trying to come in line with, with heaven. Just wanting to celebrate what God is doing and, and to encourage those who have responded to the Lord, why? Because, man, their eternity just changed. That's worth celebrating. In John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22. Now, this is after, let me give you a little context. Jesus has gone to uh, the cross. He's been resurrected from the grave. I mean, so he's alive and all these things are happening. And so for 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus walked the earth. 40 days. He walks the earth and he talks to the disciples. He's telling them stories. The Bible says that he's unveiling mysteries to them. All kinds of cool stuff is going on. Jesus is like playing hide and go seek, except he always wins because they would be in a room locked. And he's just like, boop, <laughs> found you, <laughs> got you. I thought y'all were safe. <laughs> I mean, you know, why? Because he had a glorified body. I mean, you know, I mean. So he shows up. That actually happens. Go read your Bible. I'm just telling you. They thought they were safe, and Jesus just walks right through the wall. You're like, holy cow. In John chapter 20, verse 21. Now, so, so Jesus has already paid the price for salvation. He's, he, now, he has not ascended to heaven yet, but... Well, technically he has, and he came back, but never mind. I don't want to get too technical on you, but... Anyhow, so he comes back, and he speaks to his disciples, and he says, Peace be with you. Would you be freaked out if somebody walked through the wall? Maybe it says, peace be with you as the father has sent me. Now I'm sending you. He says, then he breathed on them. Now that word breathe there is actually the same Greek word where it says that God breathed the breath of life. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. It's called pneuma, the breath of God that which brings life. The Bible says that God created Adam. He, he formed him out of the dust of the air, but he was just a, a claymation until God breathed into him. He was just a pile of dirt that God had formed. But when he breathed into him, it says that a spirit came in him and, he, and, and man became a living being. And here it says that Jesus breathes upon his disciples. Now, I'm not going to breathe on anybody. I'm just gonna, I don't do that. But, but it says that he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. He says, if you have forgiven anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you uh, do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, you would think that it would actually sound like here. That he is to that he's telling them receive the Holy Spirit in this moment. It's actually not what he's saying. They actually just got saved. 
If you, I mean, I went and studied this out. When he says receive, it's actually salvation. Why? Because he had paid the price for sin, but they had not yet received it. They got saved in this moment. And it's important to know that. And so we see this, that as Jesus breathes on them, he's what? Breathing new life into them. But yet he also gives an instruction to them as well. Well, let me, I'll get there in a second. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, Jesus stands, or I'm sorry, this is John the Baptist, is speaking about Jesus. And he says that I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming who is greater than I, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave and to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now we see fire on the day of Pentecost, which is actually we would celebrate next Sunday. It's 50 days past Easter is Pentecost. That's what the word Pentecost means. So if anybody freaks you out, like, well, Pentecost is weird. It means 50. Pentecost, 50. It's real scary. I know. It's like, man, that junk's weird. 50 is weird. I know. It's crazy. It's, it's actually what it means. Another way to translate this is that Jesus says, or John the Baptist says, that he will baptize you in the fire of the Holy Spirit. One of the traits of fire is that it purifies. When we receive of the Holy Spirit, there are things that could just be consumed in our life. Things that have been holding us back in our relationship with God. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, some of those things will just... Now, it doesn't mean everything does. That'd be awesome. But it's not the way... Some things we like to hold on to. I'll say it this way. The Holy Spirit will take anything you're willing to let go of. Like, well, why do we keep certain things? Because we want them. We're not, we're not willing to let it go yet. So that the, the power of the Holy Spirit will come when we receive of him. And his work will be as thorough or to the degree that we, that we let him. In John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus stands up. This is the last day of a, of a, of a very uh, important Jewish festival. And he stood up and he began to yell out to the crowds. And he says, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. And anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, and this is actually from the Old Testament, that rivers of living water will flow from his heart. But when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. So you have to get saved to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's, I mean, it, remember, it gets you access to the pool. You've got to get saved first. It says, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. What does that mean? That means Jesus hadn't gone to heaven. But what did Jesus tell the disciples? It's going to be better for you if I go. Because when I go, the Father will send the Holy Spirit, right? So we see it again here. Is that he's speaking of the Spirit who had not yet been given. Why? Because Jesus was still on the earth. And Jesus says, when I go, he's going to come. Now, this is multiple times in Scripture. So I'm not just pulling one verse and be like, oh, yeah, it says this one obscure thing and this one random. No, I can back it up multiple times. This is the scriptural normal. In Acts chapter 1, so Jesus breathes on them. They become saved. They receive salvation. Because you can't receive salvation until the price was paid, right? So there were some things that had to take place first. So Jesus meets with the disciples, breathes them, they receive salvation. This is his next instruction to them. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, it says, Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them. Everybody say commanded. Does command mean a slight suggestion? When you command your child to do something, are you asking them? If you prefer, if you would like, ladies, when you ask your husband to take out the trash, you're not really asking him, are you? My wife don't ask me to take out the trash. She says, take out the trash. Now she may say, could you take out the trash? What she's really saying is, take out the trash. He commands them, his disciples. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift. The gift that he promised. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from God. Comes from the Father above. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the gift that he promised you. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So here's the question. Are the people he's talking to saved? Yes. Then why did he tell them to go wait? It wasn't a suggestion. If they're saved and I got all of the Holy Spirit when I got saved, then why would Jesus tell the disciples to wait until the Holy Spirit showed up? Well, how do I know when the Holy Spirit shows up? You'll know. I don't have to tell you. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. So the same chapter, a couple verses down, Jesus continuing speaking. And he says, I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be filled with power. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be filled with power. Didn't say maybe, didn't say kind of hopefully. If you turn your head just right, if you do this, if you lock yourself away, if you no, he says the Holy Spirit will come and he will fill you with power. But there's a purpose to the power. He says, and you will be my messengers. You'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and the distant provinces, even to the um, remotest places on earth. You're like, what does all that mean? He's saying that God is going to give us power to affect Lake Charles. And then once we affect Lake Charles, we'll affect Louisiana, and then we can affect our nation. And then one, we can go to the uttermost parts of the earth. This power is, yes, it's to make a difference in our life, but it's also to make, the, make a difference in other people's lives. That's important to know that. See, Jesus didn't suggest this. He actually commanded 500 people go and wait in Jerusalem. But in Acts chapter 2, now we don't know the time frame, but within 10 days, because Jesus ascended after 40 days and Pentecost is 50 days. So within 10 days, 380 people found something else better to do. Now, I know we would all say, if Jesus told me to do something, dadgum, you better believe I'd do it. More than two-thirds found a reason to not be where Jesus commanded them to be. So being in the right place at the right time does matter. If the Lord instructs us to do something, we need to be obedient in it. I mean, can you imagine if you're one of the 380 and you're like, I missed the outpouring, like the, one of the main events that happened in church history? <laughs> I was supposed to be there. I mean, can you imagine? Like, sorry, Jesus. My bad. I mean, it's like crazy. I mean, here he is. But so Jesus tells 500, 120 of them are there on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. 120 were there. See, I believe that some have made optional what Jesus didn't. 
Some of people said, ah, just get saved. You don't, don't worry about that Holy Spirit stuff. It's kind of confusing and I don't get it and I don't, I don't understand it. You know, and it's just kind of, it's just weird and I, I don't know. Just get saved. You're going to heaven. That's enough. I got saved for eternity. I got filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit to make a difference right now. Why? Because I want to make sure I'm taking a bunch of people with me when I go to heaven. I don't want to go by myself and be like, well, I made it. <laughs> Yay. I want to make sure. I mean, I want to be like a party when I walk in heaven. I don't like parties on earth. I like that one, I can tell you. My wife will tell you that I don't like parties. Don't throw me a party. I'll go sit in a room by myself somewhere. It's kind of true. Remember, I've told you I'm an introvert, actually. I know it's... But see, Jesus didn't make this optional. He actually commanded it. And it's important that we know this and that we understand this. And so in the next couple of minutes, I want to give you three quick things on how the Holy Spirit will empower you. How the Holy Spirit will empower you. Like day to day. So number one, the Holy, the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to live righteously. Like what does that mean? It means to live in a way that would honor God. That when I read scriptures and I'm like, man, I, what do you mean I got to watch the words that come out of my mouth? <laughs> that means the Holy Spirit will tell me, don't say that. Watch your attitude. I mean, it's just little things the Holy Spirit will do. He will empower us to live righteously. And see, here's the thing. We don't have to obey God's word. We actually become it. There's a big difference. We don't, it's not a have to. It becomes a want to. So I'm not doing something I don't want to do. The Lord tells me, hey, correct your attitude. I'm not like storming off in a fit going, like, I don't want to correct my attitude. It's like, no, I need to. There's that conviction that the Holy Spirit brings, but then there's the ability to actually change. If I'm just trying to do it in and of myself, that's going to be tough. I mean, one of my, like, one of my pet peeves, like just so you know, so please don't ever tell me, well, that's just the way I am. So what you're telling me is that God, the creator of the universe... Who created everything we've ever seen, ever known, and way beyond us can't do anything to change you. You think really highly of yourself, don't you? To think that God couldn't change you. God will and God can if we allow him. So there is no, well, I was, well, if you knew my family, well, you have a new DNA. The Bible says that you've been recreated anew in Christ. Yeah, but you don't know my background. That's under the blood of Christ. The Bible says we have a new life, a new heritage. So I don't identify by who I once was. As a matter of fact, Paul, who had a really impressive list, said I call it all as garbage as compared to knowing Christ. So it's important to know this. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 says, Dear friends, you have always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Now again, you can take that work hard, not rowing. Put your sails up. Put your sail up. Let the Holy Spirit begin to breathe onto your life. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you. 
It didn't say that God wants you to work. It says that God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He will give you the power to live righteously in a way that would honor God. Doesn't mean perfection. Perfection is unattainable. I just want to be better. I'll be 40 this year. And this is, this is kind of my life goal. When I turn 40, I want to look back at the 30-year-old version of me and be like, that guy was dumb. And when I was 30, I looked at the 20-year-olds and I was like, dear Lord, that, that, something's wrong with that boy. But when I turn 50, I want to look back and say, that 40-year-old version was okay, but man, he's had a lot of work. And when I turn 60, and when I turn 70, and when I turn 80, I always want to look back to the previous decade and say, I grew. I never want a decade to go by in my life that I'm like, I'm the way I always was. Because if that is the case, and I do this, I have a problem. There's something wrong, and I I need to get along with the Lord and figure out what's going on. Number two, the Holy Spirit will empower you to live supernaturally. Now, I know we can use that word many, way, many times in a, in a strange way, but supernaturally just means above or beyond the natural realm. That means the, the Holy Spirit can make you smarter than you are. I mean, I've had to do that before where I, I was facing a, an issue on, even on a job, and I'm like, I don't know how to fix this. I've done everything naturally I know how to do. And I say, all right, Holy Spirit, you have all wisdom and all knowledge. You know how to fix this. Help me. The Bible says he's my teacher. He comes alongside of me to help. And then he tells me, I'm like, it can't be that simple. One time I had this situation with a, I was doing some lighting and it it would have this malfunction where the lights would blink and flash. Six months I worked on it. Six months. And I'm pretty technically inclined. I'm frustrated. I'm annoyed. I'm driving my car one night, driving home. And all of a sudden the thought just drops in my heart. I didn't even ask the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, if you just do this, that'll fix that. Here was my thought. There ain't no way it's that simple. There ain't no way. I'm smarter than that. I went to bed. First thing that next morning, guess where I went? To go check. And guess what? It worked exactly like he said. And I was like, Dad, gum and Holy Spirit. <laughs> See, this is practical. I don't know how to love my kid. I don't know how to love my spouse. I don't know how to love my neighbor. Holy Spirit, I need you to help me. Because I don't know how. Begin to ask. He's going to bring power into our life. I can't love that person. They hurt me. I believe that the Holy Spirit can actually come and restore us to the point where we can love like we've never been hurt. See, the Holy Spirit comes and it's not for show. It's to actually help. It's not to, to be something or to show something great. It's to actually help us and to help others. See, the Holy Spirit empowers us for service, not for status. And that's the problem. We've made it about status. Like, oh, I'm a spirit-filled believer. Great. Is that what you're going to tell Jesus? I know that's kind of hard. We should never be in a place of pride because of of an experience that we've had that's available to anybody. We're not better. I shared this, I think it was week one. Is that being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you or than anyone else. It just makes me better than me. It makes me the best version of me. 
And I want that best version to keep getting better. Romans chapter 15, verse 1 and 2 says this. It says, those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for uh, service, not status. Each one of us needs to take a look after the good of the people around us and ask, how can I help? See, there's power for everything that we have need of. Here's the third area that the Holy Spirit empowers us to, to do. is he, he actually empowers us to live on mission. That's the third part of our vision around here. We, help, we exist for three reasons. To help people know God, to discover, their, to discover their purpose, and to go make a difference. The Holy Spirit actually helps us to go make a difference. We already looked at this verse, but I'm going to read it to you out of the Passion Translation. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says that I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be filled with power and you will be my messengers. You'll be my witnesses to what? The city around you, the folks around you. The Holy Spirit comes to, to what? To help us to be a better witness. See, this is the reason that the Holy Spirit comes. It's not just for us, although it is for us. That's, I mean, the first one was what? It helps us to live righteously. Well, that affects us. But the Holy Spirit also comes not just, remember, it's twofold. He comes to affect us, but also for us to affect others. That's the reason the Holy Spirit came. That's the reason that we have to receive of him. You say, well, are you going to give an altar call this week? Nope, I'm not. You've got to come back next week for that. Because we're going to talk more about what it means to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because it's too much. I'm just setting the groundwork this morning. And I would encourage you, you may be here and you say, man, I've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've heard about it. I would encourage you, go back and listen to this again before next Sunday. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit stir up in you. Why? Because it's essential. This is what I can tell you from my own life. I prayed many times to live for God. I would repent, tell God I was sorry, all these things. Many, many, many times. I can't tell you how many times. I mean, I grew up in church, so. I'd feel guilty. I'm like, oh, I'll raise my hand. But when I got filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it changed everything. I could not live for God successfully without it. Personally. I don't mean, I'm not making them blank. I'm telling you, for me personally, I had failure after failure after failure after failure after failure after failure. But when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not that things were perfect, not that I didn't struggle, not that I didn't have questions, none of that. But I can tell you this, it changed my life. I was almost 17 years old when I began to, when I really came into a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. And I surrendered and I just said, okay, God, if this is what you want in my life, I'm game. I'm here. It's powerful, it's a game changer doesn't have to be strange or awkward or any of those things. But God wants to do it in your life. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?